Yeah, it's great to be with you. And uh, we, I was privileged to be at a conference yesterday for the churches in this region that we're working with and uh, had a great time there. And uh, so it's so good to be able to stay on and be with you here in Norwich today. Um, I'm going to get straight on to it because uh, time's always limited. And so, strange, I, I, I preach in quite a few countries where time is not limited. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, when that happens, then I have to come back and adjust and adapt to everywhere I go. So, and then of course, when we preach online, we have to be even more limited. Um, and although one of the strange things I found is that when I'm preaching online, I can get through in 20 minutes what takes me three quarters of an hour when I'm preaching elsewhere because you're not engaging with the people in the same way. So there's lots of different ways we have to communicate today. But I'm going to uh, go press straight on by reading the Word of God to you. I'm reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, starting reading at verse 24. I love teaching on the parables of Jesus. So here goes. Then he, that's Jesus, added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. Literally, the measure you give will be the measure you get back. But I like the NLT paraphrase of that. The closer you listen the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in the shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. I believe God's restoring to the church in the days in which we live the power of stories. You know, the Bible, this wonderful book, is not just a collection of truths, though it is that. It's a wonderful story from beginning to end. It's the story 
of God's transforming this world through Jesus Christ and now through those of us who belong to Jesus Christ that God has given us the commission to restore things in this world, turn it back to the, to the Lord until Jesus comes back and then everything will be completed and there'll be the earth, whole earth will be renewed. That's the story. And in, as he, in this great big story, there's lots of, I estimate, sev- several hundred individual narratives that um, Jesus, that the, the, the Bible writers use to get truth through stories. Because stories encourage faith and help deliver truth in a more easily remembered form. And that's how Jesus taught. It said when he was teaching publicly, he didn't teach except using stories. And so I love to do that. And I try to bring a, com- when I'm teaching, I try and bring a combination of stories of what God is doing today or has done in history to encourage our faith. But more importantly, stories from the Bible to help us in our understanding, because that's how Jesus taught. And the job of a preacher, and now I'm going to, all, all preachers here, you know, it's, Hard to get this right sometimes. But our job is to make the, 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 what, was, what was written in the text of the Bible have the same impact on us today as it did on the people that originally heard it. That means we have to apply it into our culture. Forgive me teaching the preachers just for a little while. Okay, we have to contextualise it to today and take the same truth and make it have the same impact as when Jesus originally taught it. So that's what I want to try and do. I'm just setting myself a high objective. And what I t- t- tend to do when I'm preaching, as I, I, as I travel a lot, I start a story from somewhere else in the world, just tell people, encourage them what's going on. Then I teach four stories from God's Word and hopefully show how that uh, fits into the great story of God's plan to save the world through Jesus Christ and his cross and resurrection. Okay, it's a summary. It's just a story. There's a particular unreached people group that we've been working in. Unreached people groups are those where there's not a reproducing church within it yet. And uh, there's one particular group, and I knew this dear brother who had been the only person who was a, a believer in Jesus from the whole of his people group. People group of several hundred thousand, and he was the only believer. He was a believer because he'd been, it was an orphan, he'd been adopted by another fa- a family, not, not in the West, but in the area where he lived in a nearby nation. And they taught him the word of God uh, when I first met him, he was also translating the scriptures into the language of his people group, even though he was the only believer there. That's a good step of faith, isn't it? And, uh, uh, and then they've uh, been working there and taking the Jesus film to lots of villages. And there was one particular village, and there were two little boys, and... 
even though they didn't know Jesus or anything else or didn't know anything about the Bible, these two boys saw a vision of two of a white bird appearing on both of them. It's a culture where they don't have doves. Okay, but he'd seen this picture of two of they saw this picture and they kept say, talking to the elders of the village. What does this mean? Then a few months later, or a few weeks later, the tea, a team arrived with the Jesus film, and they saw a picture of the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus like a dove. And they all pointed to this and said, that's what we saw. And there was an amazing move of God in that village. See, God does that. Parts of the world where I'm working, lots of people come to faith first because they have dreams about Jesus and then have to find someone to explain it. Because God is more passionate about reaching unreached people groups than we are. He just wants us to catch up. And some of you need to go. Okay, so, the, and so they, they saw this and... It's part of a work of grace amongst that people group. I watched a video uh, two or three years ago of a baptism in this people group in the river. It was during August, I remember that. And over a thousand people went through that river and got baptised. Okay, and this is growing and it's very, very exciting. Because that's the sort of thing that God is doing. So I want to just encourage you. Okay, it's happening all over the world. Even though the church is declining, apparently in the West, it's growing in many, many parts of the world. Often, where there's persecution, many of the people I'm working with having persecution, leaders in prison. Recently, a message through four of our leaders in a particular place were being imprisoned, and could we pray for them? That's a country where you can't even have the Bible on your phone. Because if it was permanently on your phone, it would be arrested. So when, they have, when they'd be arrested, and so when they have uh, their meetings, they just watch the Bible online and then uh, erase as far as they can any record of having done so. That's how they have their small group meetings. Okay, this is going on, but the God Church is growing. And so, so I'll start with a story from around the world. Now we're going to look at a Bible story, which actually illustrates some of the things I've just been saying. So, and Jesus underlines this, his storytelling by saying, how are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? Oh, wow, God, that's good. Okay, it's always good for preachers to start that way. How are you listening? And uh, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding will be given. That, uh, as I say, the NLT paraphrase there. Um, and actually, there were lots of Jewish proverbs along those lines of the measure you give, the measure you get, and all that sort of thing. And so Jesus was using proverbs from the culture in which he was part then. But that's what it meant. And so the degree you, 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 you let the truth of these wonderful stories, parables, the stories with a meaning that Jesus told, impact your life, 
to, and change your outlook on life, to live the life of faith and to keep you from misunderstanding how the kingdom of God is working. So listen carefully. Okay, and I've chosen two of these stories for the many I could have done because I often teach from the parables. The first parable is the seed that grows by itself. Okay, that's the first story demonstrating the gospel at work in everyday life. The second story was the story about the mustard seed because it, it recognises that what we contribute to the growth of the kingdom in this world may feel very small, but God brings mighty results. So both of these are to encourage us. The seed of the kingdom and the seed of the gospel grows by itself. And secondly, your contribution may seem nothing hardly. What can I do? And yet, as you sow the little that you can do, Jesus is saying it'll bring mighty results in the long term. I hope you're encouraged by that. And now we're going to unpack those parables. Firstly, the parable of the growing seed. Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man sows seed on the ground. This was said to a people whose unanimous worldview and understanding of the kingdom of God was that one day a Messiah will come. He will overthrow the foreign occupiers of the land of Israel, the Romans at that time, set them free, and Zion will become the ruler of the whole earth. And it will be like a military conquest. That's what they expected. Okay. Because it had been prophesied the Messiah would come. But their interpretation was in that particular human way. So when Jesus came, some of the things he did seemed to confirm that. It was a very, puzzle, very puzzling to them. As they watched and listened to Jesus, he fulfilled some of their expectations. Miracles of healing and setting people free from demons. Teaching with authority. It says they, they recognised he taught with authority, not like their teachers, which was a nice thing to say, wasn't it, in the Bible. And uh, he taught with authority, so it was like that. He, on one, because he was once... Uh, multiplied the food so that 5,000 men plus women and children were fed, they said, we want to make this man king. I mean, if a man can supply all the provisions of an army uh, miraculously, then we don't have to worry about, you know, they say an army marches on its stomach, you know, it has to be, soldiers have to be well fed. It's often the thing that would hinder them. But if, if a man here can just produce food out of nothing... And they tried to make him king, but he sort of turned away, went away. Why? Because another part of Jesus' message just didn't fulfill this at all. He said, love your enemies. What? Love your enemies. We're so used to that expression, even though we find it hard in practice. So used to that expression that we don't understand the radical, radical nature of it. They were expecting to overthrow their enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Someone hits you on one side, 
Just say, what about this side? You haven't hit that yet. Now, because that's hitting on the side of the face brings terrible shame in these shame cultures. I, I was once in a queue to get into the airport, not a queue in the airport, but a queue to get into the airport in Pakistan. And I was waiting in this queue, and suddenly a dispute arose between two people ahead of me in the queue, like queues do, you know. The one thing that British people can be proud of is we're good at queuing. I don't know what else, but most of the world, queues are slightly different, you know. And uh, you just push in. But, um, and one guy slapped the other on the side of the face. And everyone was watching. So he wasn't just fighting him, he was shaming him. So he slapped him on the face. And the other one, he went back and slapped him back on the face. And immediately it made me understand what Jesus was saying. Because people were watching the shame of not just the hurt, but the shame of this. And Jesus said, well, if they shame you like that, just endure the shame, let them do it again. And so all he, they couldn't get this. How is this the reign of, reign of God? That's what the kingdom of God means. It just means God is obviously and demonstrably ruling. So Jesus said, to understand the kingdom, how God's kingdom grows in this world, you have to think of it like a seed. So, he loved telling stories about seeds. They all start the same way, but have a different meaning. The parable of the sower, that we often talk about, the seed is the word of God. And what sort of ground are we? How do we receive it? The power of the seeds and the weeds, which I taught on yesterday, is not the word of God being sown, it's you being sown. You, as sons and daughters of the kingdom, are sown into the world to make a difference. These two stories are very different. Why, was, why did Jesus talk so much about seeds? Well, it wasn't just because they were relevant to an agricultural community, which it's still important because you must always contextualise your message to those that you're reaching. But because seeds are small but have life that mysteriously produces a mighty harvest. The harvest is both a picture of the wonderful results for the gospel but also a final judgment when God brings justice to the world and deals with the wicked. And so, in the first story, a man just sows seed on the ground. In ordinary life, just goes on. It says night and day, he wakes up, he sleeps, he has nothing more to do with the seed. Yet, it sprouts and grows, and the farmer doesn't understand how. I mean, we accept that seeds grow because we've seen it enough in our experience, but we don't really know how. 
It sprouts and the farmer doesn't even understand how. The earth just seems to produce crops all on its own. First a little shoot, a leaf blade pushes through, then heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain becomes ripe, and now the farmer gets involved again and harvests it. What's that teaching? How on earth is the kingdom of God like that? How is it you working for the kingdom of God is like this? A more banal comparison could not be imagined. Why not a picture in Roman times of a gladiatorial contest with high and low, with with uh, great victories? Why not a high and lofty mountain dominating the landscape? The parable of the sorry, the paradox of the kingdom, the mystery of the incarnation. God enters commonplace, ordinary life. That's what God does. That's what Jesus did. Jesus entered ordinary life. And the kingdom of God comes through your ordinary life. It's not something spectacular that you're doing. It's not some amazing feats that you're accomplishing. It's just your ordinary life. You get up in the morning, you go to work, you go to school, you do whatever you do. And somehow, because you have spoken words of the kingdom of God, it grows by itself, even though you seem to do nothing more about it. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Do you get it? Hello? Do you get it? That's what it's like. And so, this is not, this is not teaching how high and lofty God is, though that's true and we worship him for it but how present he is in ordinary life. God is with you in your ordinary life. Not when you're doing spectacular things, not just when you're having a massive evangelistic campaign, but when you are living for him in your daily life and all the time you're doing it, you're just sowing these seeds. People are noticing your integrity. People are noticing your honesty. People are noticing how you forgive people that hurt you. People are noticing how you don't join in the gossip at work. People notice all these things. You understand? God is in your ordinary life and the kingdom of God grows through that. I was talking to someone in another country I'm working in and he's a pastor now uh, and he was like me, he was a bank manager at one time and we were just talking about that. He said how he came to Christ, I mean this is a country where there's been a lot of corruption and uh, he he said, there was this guy in my office, who I also know, actually, I know who he is. He was in my office, I was the manager, he was just one of the junior clerks. But he said he was so different from everybody else. He just got on with his work. He was very honest in what he did, he handled people well. And I was watching this guy, I couldn't understand, he was like everybody else in the office. He said, and when I used to hand out the black money, because he used to make, they, this, this organisation used to make lots of money on the black market, and the staff would divide up the profits amongst themselves. 
because okay, that's what happens in certain places. And uh, he said, whenever I handed out the black money, this guy, even though he was poorly paid, always refused to take it. In the end, he said, I asked him, what is different about you? The result was this manager, who's now one of the leaders in one of our churches in a persecuted area, who's persecuted for his faith, became a believer. You understand? What was happening? He wasn't, this guy wasn't evangelizing. He couldn't in that context. But every day he came into the office, seeds of the kingdom were sown, and those kingdoms, those seeds, reproduced and produced life in that place. That's what happened. And this guy came to Christ. I mean, he's a remarkable man. I can't tell you now, I haven't got time, some of the things he's accomplished under persecution. He refused to escape because as well as leading the bank, he was, became pastor of a church. And uh, he uh, could have escaped. He could have offered, he was offered a job outside this persecuting area. But he said, no, I've got to stay with my people because of the kingdom of God. It's reproducing. And so... As the farmer sleeps, another process is at work. The life of God is growing. We don't know how. The soil brings it forth all by itself. The Greek word there is automatos. It's automatic. It's spontaneous. It just happens. And one commentator said of this, like the patient farmer, Jesus is supremely confident in the coming kingdom. Though beset by opposition from religious leaders and misunderstanding from followers, Jesus is not disheartened, distraught, or desperate. Nor should there be anxiety among his disciples. The faith that Jesus requires of his disciples is to sleep and rise in humble confidence that God has invaded this troubled world, not with a crusade, but with a seed, an imperceptible fifth column that will grow into a fruitful harvest. You understand? That's what it's like. And you, if you're living lives true to the kingdom of God, if you're demonstrating your integrity, even if you can't say much more, if you just sow seeds of your story amongst others and how your life has been changed when people ask you, as you tell, gave this testimony, as you pray for sick people in your office and they get healed, just imperceptibly, the work of the kingdom of God is proceeding. And it will grow. And there will be a harvest. And there will be mighty fruit. That's the, it's not celebrity. It's not who the great speakers are. It's not how many likes you get in social media. It's rather the kingdom of God grows by a seed that just grows by itself that all of you can be involved with. Does that encourage you? Yeah. 
the zealots of Jesus' day wanted to force a kingdom through revolution. Today, in some parts of the world, even Christians want to force the kingdom through sort of political action. But no political party can reflect the kingdom of God. So, at the harvest, the farmer becomes active again. Jesus, so at the... At the end time harvest, Jesus will return. Everything will be transformed. But there are interim harvests of individuals coming to faith, onto discipleship. Churches reaping the benefit of years of sowing. There have been and will be times of refreshing or revival as we call them. That the harvest comes before the end harvest. But we carry on, all we do is plant. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. That's the attitude of all of us to be the kingdom of God. It's not your accomplishments. You sow, you water, whatever your role is, and God does something. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And then... So you have faith in the life of the kingdom of God. Don't you be, as that quote said earlier, disheartened, distraught or desperate. Do what you need to sow seeds. Then trust God that there is holy kingdom power in the Holy Spirit kingdom power in those seeds to grow and produce the harvest. And it will happen. Be encouraged. Then he told another one, a parable of the mustard seed. And Jesus asked himself a rhetorical question. You know, a question doesn't require an answer from anybody else particularly. He said, what shall I liken the kingdom to? I said, well, Jesus, you've been likening the kingdom to all sorts of strange things. What shall I liken the kingdom to, he says. A bit like Isaiah Echoes of Isaiah 40, 98. To whom can you compare God? What shall I compare the kingdom to? You must say, what's coming now? Surely there's something dramatic. Oh, it's like someone who sows a mustard seed. And in traditional Jewish proverbs and folklore, mustard seed was always used as an illustration of something very, very small. So it was, again, using familiar images in the culture he was addressing, which we should always do, by the way, when you're in the gospel. Find creative images in the culture that you're reaching to, in order to share it. And yet, this tiny mustard seed, when it's sown in the garden, grows into a large shrub of up to 10 feet high. It's an annual plant, so each year it does this. And the birds of the air can come and nest in its shade. Now, the birds of the air represent the non-Jewish nations of the world. Again, it was the way they talked. Because an occupied people have to speak in code. Okay, I've come across that quite a bit. And so, when they were talking about the Romans, they used to call them the birds of the air. Then no one quite knew what, what terribly seditious things they were saying about them. Okay, the birds of the air. And the party of Herod, they used to call the foxes. This is why Jesus said, 
about Herod, oh, go and tell that fox. Okay, and when Jesus said, the foxes have holes, but the birds of the air have resting places. But So he, the foxes who were not proper Jews, they were the party of Herod, seemed to have a place in this land. The Romans seemed to, but the Messiah whose land it is doesn't have anywhere to call home. Wow. And so that's what the birds of the air refer to. And so they can nest. And in the Old Testament, it talks about the kingdom of God like a, pl- pl- a tree like this. In Ezekiel 17, 23, it says, It will become a majestic cedar, sending forth its branches and producing seed. Birds of every sort will nest in it, finding shelter in the shade of its branches. And that was a prophecy about what the kingdom of God would be in the future. But Jesus is using irony here. He doesn't say it's like a cedar. He says it's like a mustard shrub. I mean, cedars grow to 100 feet more. Mustard shrub, 10 feet. And so he's even using irony about that Old Testament theme that lies beneath it because he is saying you won't see much yet it won't be very obvious yet but what I sow will fill the earth and that's what happened how did the kingdom of God start the mystery of the growth of the kingdom of God started what how did the kingdom of God start coming There was a baby born to a peasant girl who wasn't even married when she conceived. And in a little village, in a small province of the mighty Roman Empire. See, everyone's heard of Bethlehem now. And when you go to Bethlehem, all the tourists come although it's an interesting place to go now because, of course, the, the wall, the terrible wall that's been put up around the West Bank goes right through, right into Bethlehem. And you can see there, I was, I was there once and it's the only time I've been tear-gassed because uh, there, was a revol- there was a bit of a revolt and we got in the middle of it somehow. And... Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't on the streets demonstrating. I was just staying there. We were at a conference there. But one of the things I noticed was wonderful. It was in a, Christian, a Palestinian Christian Christmas tree. I was there in December, Scylla and I. And uh, all the baubles on the Christmas tree were spent... Um, canisters of this gas <laughs> that was used to tear gas. It was wonderful, wonderful image how things have transformed, hope coming in the middle. But Bethlehem now, everyone's heard of it. Although they sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem, at least, at least we know about it. But in those days, yes, the Jewish prophets understood and Herod had to find out what they'd said about where the Messiah would be born. But it was just an 
a nowhere place. And yet, now, that mustard seed of the incarnation of Jesus into the world, into that very obscure place, he is now worshipped by millions and millions of billions of people all over the nations of this world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, the story of Christianity illustrates this parable. But it also means because that the, what, is, what is growing as the centre of Christianity has moved from the east back to the west, sorry, moved from the west back to the east where it started and the south where it has flourished. You know, don't worry too much about the decline in the west. Okay, overall, and soon we'll be humbled and have to learn from all our southern and eastern brothers and sisters who are seeing the mighty things happen and God always brings the proud down and we've got a bit proud in the west, so it'll happen. But this is amazingly growing. And uh, as one another commentator said, what appears to be the smallest is nevertheless the greatest, in which is hidden the foundation of a work. It, it, the foundation of a work is laid which will encompass the whole world. Amen. Out of the most insignificant beginnings, invisible to human eyes, God creates his mighty kingdom, which embraces all the peoples of the world. That's what we're part of, friends. But you see, for us, you know, we want to do works of the kingdom. And... Poverty is massive all over the world. What can we do? I say, how can we help? We're working for the poor. I hope you are. I know you are as a church here. We work for the poor. But poverty, we hardly seem to make any difference, do we? Because you know, it's so massive. What's helping, as you do, some people based in Meru to do with all the poverty in Africa? Don't worry. You just sow a mustard seed. And the kingdom grows. It's insignificant. As we're planting churches across the Middle East, what difference does that make? Perhaps not even noticed by most people. It's good, better, better that way. Planting mustard seeds. As you church plant in the UK and send church planters to towns where there's no real evangelical live churches. You might say, well, it's just the three or four people. What's that going to make? It's a mustard seed. Jesus says that's how the kingdom grows. It's God's way. Sorry, friends. God's way is not these big things. God's way is the small way things that produce a mighty harvest. You work for a large company where there's not many believers and you can't even witness to your faith or you want a big organisation where now they say, don't be religious. No, you mustn't, mustn't even wear religious symbols. Don't worry about that. Plant mustard seeds. Just be a, people will come to you. I've known that happen. I've known it happened in my own life. People just come to me when I was in doing a real job. And so, 
speak. Because you, you, you just sow mustard seeds and it grows. You work in a sector dominated by the secular agenda where you feel you have to compromise weekly, if not daily. What can you do? You plant a mustard seed. You've count, you carefully choose your battles. It's not impressive. It doesn't sound strategic. It won't get on TV. But that's what happens. And what will we do? If you make a few disciples who themselves make disciples, the mustard seed is reproducing growing in the world by itself until the harvest. So keep telling stories. Keep telling of what God is doing and keep sowing seeds where you are. That's my message to you today. And it's Jesus' message here. That's how the kingdom of God grows. And so you make a difference. You know, we say, I really want to make a difference. And we're thinking of it in terms of everything will transform tomorrow. Probably won't, except one day there will be a tomorrow and there will be things transformed, but it may be after many, many, many years of patient sowing of mustard seeds that then the outcome becomes clear and faces are transformed. And maybe there's an interim harvest of a revival power of Jesus working don't, say, don't just sort of hang around and wait till then and hope it'll happen and pray it'll happen. Yes, pray, but also sow mustard seeds where you are and believe that God will bring that to fruit, sometimes in a public way, sometimes in a hidden way. Don't worry about it. The kingdom of God is growing all over this world and we're part of it and we're thankful to be and God bless you as you take your part in this life of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus said. This is what the kingdom is like. You understand? He didn't say it's like massive TV shows. He didn't say it's like massive political action by Christians. He says this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like someone that sows seed and it just grows by itself. He just carries on with ordinary life. He or she goes to bed, goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, carries on. And the harvest grows. Be encouraged in these days, Church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, I just pray, keep us in our integrity, wherever we are, wherever we work, wherever we're at school. Keep us living for you. Lord, even if we get frustrated by the seeming lack of results, help us not to be distraught or desperate because the kingdom is like this. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this mighty kingdom. It's taken 2,000 years, but it was sown in that manger in a house in Bethlehem. Nobody noticed. Even the people brought in Lord, we're just the, the shepherd outcasts and the Middle Eastern astrologers. No one else seemed to know. God, thank you. You did that. Lord, you did it remarkably. And Lord, now, all over the world, and it's still growing, and thousands are coming to Christ daily. Lord, we thank you. Help us to play our part in it. 
without being discouraged. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.